Hello, it's Anthony Chadwick from the Webinar Vet. Um, on another episode of Vet Chat, this week the Webinar Vet meets the Holistic Vet. It's always good to have a title, isn't it? So uh, it's Nick Thompson who's on the line today. Nick, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. How are you, Anthony? It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, well, perhaps first of all, just give us a little bit of a history. Uh, obviously, a vet like myself, of a, as we discussed earlier, a similar vintage. I think I'm a few years older than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, qualified from, from Edinburgh, fantastic school. Yeah. And Indeed. then tell us a little bit about the, the history going forward. Okay. okay. Um, so I did, uh, I did uh, intercalated honours at Edinburgh. I did pathological sciences, virology, microbiology, uh, biochemistry, um, parasitology blah blah the whole the whole works really because I thought I wanted to go into science or at the very least I had an inkling that I might be going into uh, what they called alternative medicine in those days and I thought I wanted to have a, you know a background I wanted to know my way around a laboratory a way my way around references and and, and, and papers so I found that very very useful I qualified from Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies in 92 went into practice i did seven years in practice because <laughs> you'll laugh at this i uh, i initially wanted to be james herriot so i went to i went to yorkshire and um and and really really enjoyed i started in a in mainly a pig practice but they had a small animal branch and so doing a bit of everything and then uh went into up into the dales working from um just near uh, Ample Forth in Helmsley, up into the Dales, and oh, thoroughly enjoyed that. Learned a thing or two up there, I can tell you. And um, then came down to no, and then kind of had a re- revelation. Really, I was I, I went to my boss while I was there, and I said, you know, can I can I study some homeopathy? And he said, well, if you you know uh, if, if if you're going to do it, you might as well do it properly and go and do a course. So. Strangely enough, a very conventional vet started me off on my journey. And so I started studying homeopathy. And then I came to the revelation. I just thought, am I going to be a conventional vet who dabbles in some alternative things? Or am I going to nail my colors to the mast? And being the extremist that I am, I thought, right, I'm going to absolutely go for it. So then I moved down to the south coast just near Chichester. And I did four years down there with a guy called Mark Elliott and we were we were in practice together doing uh homeopathy and herbs and uh, began to get interested in nutrition at that point but we were using kibble then so I've cut my uh I've cut my teeth on in the kibble industry back in the day um and then in 1999 I just thought right I'd like to set up my own practice. So I did so. I set up my practice, holisticvet.co.uk, um, starting then. And really, the, the, the main drive, I've been, you know, I was doing horses and cats and dogs and a bit of everything. But gradually, as the raw movement has be- become more and more prominent and more and more popular, that's really where it's led me. So I find myself today to be one of the grand old men of raw food in the uk and i'm very very happy with that as a as a state of affairs i I do a lot of telephone medicine these days i see people as well every month um i'm based in in 
uh, Wiltshire, just near Bath. And um, I'm doing a lot of um, consultations uh, when nutrition is key. So I see see a lot of itchy dogs and I see a lot of dogs with gut problems. I see see a few healthy dogs where people are saying, right, well, I'm on kibble. I really look after my own diet and, and with my kids, I'm very careful about what I feed them. I'd like to get my dog off ultra processed food which is essentially what it is you know kibble and tins Mm. it's ultra processed food and i'm finding surprise surprise that we can have incredible health benefits to these you know they don't need to be itchy or squitty but uh they can be just an average dog you know averagely healthy but we change their diet and they become supremely above average they you know the the, slightly smelly ears disappear and 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 really resolve beautifully teeth improve gut function improves poos improve anal glands improve coat quality improves hot spots improve even with with you know uh pollen sensitivities we can you know just take the take take the uh, the, 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 the inflammatory base of that mm. down a bit, they're always going to be pollen sensitive. But if you can you know, t- take down whole body inflammation, that can really, really help. Also with uh, indoor allergens and all that I stuff. I used to talk a lot about the pruritic threshold when I was doing a lot of dermatology. And, yeah. and actually, if you've got a dog that's got um, some malassezia, it's got a bit of a flea allergy, maybe a dust mite allergy, if you can sort out its malassezia, you know, by washing a topical treatment, um, obviously you treat for the fleas if you, you know, uh, I think, you know, flea treatment potentially, and I, I feel I'm partly responsible for it. I set up the first pet health club in 99. <laughs> oh, uh, but as a dermatologist, obviously I was, you know, obsessed with a, a couple of fleas on a flea allergic dog or cat can cause a lot of problems. Yeah. But actually, um, you know, if you treat that dog for fleas, treat his malassezia, the fact that it's still got a dust mite allergy is still there um, subclinically, but you've taken it below its scratch threshold, its itch threshold, by yeah. removing a couple of the elements. So, and, and of course, diet is, is a big part of that as well with allergy and so on. It is very much so. I think, you know, what pe- people, I think there's a bit of an us and them within the veterinary profession. They say, okay, you, you're a holistic vet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a conventional vet. But you know what? We all went through the same mm. training. And actually, the most important thing for me is we all want the same thing. We want happy, healthy yeah. pets, happy, healthy owners. And to, to, uh, to, to, to get to that re- stage of resolution and to educate our clients so that they can manage their pets um, from a position of knowledge. Mm. I think it's, it's, it's really, uh, really, really important. No, I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's interesting, uh, you know, use holistic. I, I talk about being holistic a lot because <laughs> I think as a profession, we're much more holistic than, say, for example, the doctors who are often, yeah. you know, holistic for me, I think it's a Greek word, isn't it? It comes from the whole idea of treating the whole animal. I mean, very much so. by all means, give me a different definition. But I've always seen it as treating the whole rather than the part. So even mm. with skin diseases, I would always go in and give a, well, first of all, a thorough history, but then, of course, a thorough clinical examination. Because mm. if that dog has a heart murmur, you need to know it before you start looking at the skin. And I think sometimes with the 10 minute consult is very difficult to do all those things and mm, 
Mm. One of the reasons I think I was reasonably successful with dermatology wasn't that I knew more than other people, although, you know, probably I did because that was my particular area of interest, but it was actually just spending the time with people, mm. having that consistency of they saw me every time I came in, uh, They, you know, I, I got them back in. Often when I was taking a history, which, how many, you know, which vet do you see at Mr. Smith's practice? Mm. Well, I've seen all seven of them. Mm. You immediately realize that unless communication is absolutely tip top and all the vets agree with each other, there's going to be uh, a bit of treatment uh, changing and flip-flopping going on. Mm. So, so that consistency of having one vet looking after a, a patient, at least for that part of it you know but that for that series of consults I think is so important isn't it I do and we were talking about this before we came on I think we don't do ourselves any favors by um by uh having a having a a system whereby you you treat and then you say come back and see us i.e come back and see the practice in two weeks what I love to do and I'm the only vet in the practice so I do get this consistently but in a in a multi-vet practice what i personally would be doing would be to say uh come back and see me in 10 days or 12 days whenever you're next on because then you can pick up the story when i when i'm consulting my first consultation is 45 to 60 minutes and i will spend an half an hour or longer looking at a questionnaire that i sent out to the clients and looking at the the vet history looking at the lab work and bringing that all together, it's like cramming before a, before an exam, so that when I lift the phone to talk to the client, I have crammed all that information. And I, I know when Buster had his first vaccine and when Buster first started itching and when Buster first had, mm. um, you know, the hot spot and, and when they changed the diet and what was the effect of the, the, the change in diet, because I've got the vet's impression. And I've got the client's impression as well. And I find that's really, really valuable. And that plays into the, the, this holistic medicine. Because what we were, what we, again, what we were speaking about before we came on was the attrition rate, the number of people who leave the profession. Yeah. And I'm trying to make my consultation consultations as inter- interesting as educational as possible for the clients but also it's very selfish i'm making them as interesting as possible for me for example i'll ask the people what do they do for a living because yeah. if you're if you're a watercolor painter i'm going to speak to you in a slightly different language to if you're an engineer to if you're a physicist or to if you're a doctor or a nurse and i find that's that a it's very interesting because you can you can kind of say right you're a lawyer therefore we're going to get look at this incredibly logically and we're going to go through mm-hmm. the factual presentation if you're an artist you'll say well let's look at the big picture and let's see if we can fill in some color and what have you i'm not trying to pull any wool over any eyes i'm just trying to do the the old thing of you know when in rome speak latin you know, it's speaking in a way such that you get the message across. It's all very well being clear in your mind what you're trying to say. But unless the client hears what you're trying to impart, unless it, 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 it's in their hearing, not in your telling, really, uh, that, that, that the, the communication yeah. really happens. And that adds to the interest of the whole thing, I think. Yeah. I mean, how many times... Um... 
and I don't know how often this happened to me, but certainly I think with most vets when, uh, mm. you know, I used to always write stuff down after the client, yeah. you know, yeah. to, to give to the client. Yes. But um, if you rely on that oral, you know, communication, how many times do people go outside and uh, the nurse or the receptionist goes, oh, uh, you know, are you all okay? When do you need the next appointment? Oh, I don't know. Um, mm. I don't really know what they said because, you know, as you said, if you speak to somebody very, very technically with somebody who hasn't got that scientific uh, language, then, of course, you're excluding them from the, 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 well, I call it a square now, you know, that relationship. I always talk about the three people in the room, the dog, mm. you know, the, the owner and the vet. And, and mm. you know, I also add that kind of environmental impact and element yeah. to it. But, you know, un unless you have that triangle really working effectively, then this is where treatment breakdowns happen and you have a lack of success with your diagnosis and then obviously with your treatment. Yeah, during my first consultation, this is the 45 to 60 minute consultation, which is a luxury. And I think after over 30 years in the business, um, I'm entitled to a little bit of luxury. Mm. Uh, I, uh, I I will write up key points from the, from, the, from the consultation and I will email those to the vet, but I will also email cc the client in exactly yes. the same notes and i will write them such the vet can understand them but i'll write them such that the the client can understand them as well yeah. so that we have complete transparency complete communication i say to clients good good medicine is 90 percent good communication and i think that that's yeah. that's i think it's really I think, vital i think you see that with the royal college you know the number of complaints that the royal college have if you break them down the majority mm. are down to a failure in, as we call it, soft skills, yeah. uh, which is broadly communication. And, and you know, just again, going to your point around history, uh, I often would take sort of 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes taking the history at least. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you know, when you're taking history, you're not only listening, but you're looking as well and you're getting a feel for the client, what the client's about. It's so helpful, as you've said, if if you understand the client more mm. to have a better uh, result. But actually, just sometimes looking, you know, at the animal in that twenty minutes, rather than just yep. immediately dive on top of it, you know, and, and want yep. to get a yep. stethoscope or a thermometer out, allows the dog to settle, the cat to settle down. But also, you begin to see the the proper the behaviour that it's that it's showing when it's at home as well. Yeah, very much so. I will often say at the beginning of the consult consultation, I'm going to deliberately ignore the dog. Take a seat, make yourself at home. You know, um, uh, if, if if I'm seeing them uh, face to face, uh, uh, tea, cup of tea, cup of coffee, because mm -hmm. I think you'll get the best information when they are uh, when they are relaxed, and when they're relaxed, the dog is going to be relaxed, and you're mm -hmm. going to see the true nature of the of the dog obviously this is you know we're talking specialist consultations and if you've just got a 10 minute consultation you haven't got this luxury but what's to stop the profession saying right that's it we're, we're all going to go to 20 25 minute consultations it means that the, the you'd have to charge more for the consultation but yeah. i would wager that you would maybe um your, your your drug bill would go down because you'd be able to focus in on the problem and rather than mm -hmm. taking three consultations to to uh, achieve a result you might be able to say you might be able to get there a little more quickly and be much more specific with your 
with your prescription or maybe not make a prescription at all because you've educated the client, you've examined the dog and you've you, you've explained what might be happening mm. with the dog. Just do this, Mrs. Jones, or try this or read this book and then come back to me in a couple of weeks. Something like that. Um, I think we're very pharmaceutically orientated um, and, and, and we have got more so over the last uh, over the last 30, 40 years. Yeah, I, you know, my ethos was always used as little as possible. Obviously, you know, you do, or, you know, I, I you did, I, I used uh, antibiotics as a dermatologist, etc. Yeah, for sure. But it's interesting, even that now, you know, I've been out of uh, dermatology practice for the last six years. Uh, and again, we've started to think, well, actually, um, you know, giving that three week of antibiotics, is that the right thing to do? Can we use topicals more? Mm. etc etc um one of my favorite lectures is, is a guy called mike willard who's uh, a texas a&m professor uh, retired now in gastroenterology mm. okay uh, a great man and he, he would often say on a webinar you know what i taught you 10 years ago was a lie i just didn't realize <laughs> yes. so things do change and i, I think it's it's interesting, you know, often you get a, a dog in that is massively overweight and has hip dysplasia. Mm -hmm. uh, is the treatment non-steroidals or is it, you know, re reducing weight? You know, I would have tended to have used, you know, a Hills RD or a, a obesity diet from Royal Cannon. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, as a student, I, that I used to go to a practice and their sales of Leo obesity diet, which was just starting then sort of 30, 35 years ago would go through the roof because in my view, the obesity was more important than the uh, arthritis because if we reduce the obesity, probably the arthritis would go a lot better. I mean, how would you yeah. treat a case like that coming through the door to you? Did you know the webinar that Virtual Vet and Weed Congress is back for 2024. Starting on the 5th of February, we have 10 hours of continuing education with speakers such as Sarah Heath, John Chitty, and Samantha Taylor, and many, many more. We'd love to see you there. And um, if you'd like to get involved again this year, or if you'd like to join us for the very first time, please click the link in the description below to find out more. Well, just following up from your your idea of of, of uh, ten years down the line, uh, half of what I told you, there's there was a guy called David Sackett. Do you know David Sackett? He's the the father of evidence based medicine, and yeah. and he had a he had a paper in the BMJ in '76, which kicked off really the evidence based thing. And I'd love to talk to you about that. But he said half of what you learn in medical medical school will be shown to be either dead wrong or out of date within five years of graduation. The trouble is nobody can tell which half. The most yes. important thing, this is the important thing, Anthony, the most important thing is to learn how to learn on your own. And that kind of keys into this idea of stimulate your brain in practice. You can't just do the same thing every single day. If you learn a new skill, you learn a new toolbox, like I did with, the, my, with, with homeopathy and acupuncture and now very much so looking at the raw food thing, that's what keeps me going, um, and and, yeah. and that's that's so important. Now, going back to your case, to your point, you were saying about so what you've got uh, an obese dog, uh, and he's being fed uh, some standard um, big food uh, uh, kibble from Purina or Royal Cannon or Hills. 
what would I do in that situation? And is he lame as well? He's lame. He's got osteoarthritis. You know, the, the point was, it's very easy to mm. send that dog home with non-steroidal. Non-steroidal, but actually, yep. you need to spend more time with the client to say, actually, this dog needs to lose weight. And if it loses weight, yeah. it may not need the non-steroidals long term. Yeah, totally. Okay, so let's look at that as a case example. Um, so uh, Alex German in 2017 did a study and he found that 74% of dogs were overweight or obese. Okay, so so and that was in eight. That was uh, six years ago. Now yeah. I would say that that you know, and just walking down the high street, you know, I would say eight out of ten dogs are either overweight or obese. So that's the your number one thing. I would be looking at a raw food diet because I find most dogs who go on a on a well constructed, um, uh, varied raw food diet will usually lose weight because what we know is that car that kibble has a very high carb content and now you know with the advent of of, uh, of low carb diets within human medicine for heart disease for predisposition to uh, stroke and to metabolic disease and diabetes yeah it's a big it's big news there's a guy called dr asim malhotra if you haven't seen any of his videos on youtube definitely worth having a look at him and um and so what we would do is we put go over onto a onto a raw food diet, which would be by definition great zero grain, grain free. That's got connotations. We and we can go there if you like, but let's just say it's going to be based on meat and bone and organ meat. I.e., we're feeding a carnivore like a carnivore. There's going to be some green veggie material in there. Maybe some nuts, herbs, and seeds. Maybe an omega three source that'll make you happy as a dermatologist. And what we find is that we're feeding two to three percent of body weight typically, and we will see those dogs will just slim down to where they need to be. Now, if they're on two percent of body weight, which is kind of the bottom end of where I'd have most adult dogs, and they're not losing weight, and maybe they're they've got maybe a little bit of bilateral alopecia, or maybe they are a bit on the chilly side, or even aggressive, or maybe suddenly they're noise phobic. There's a fantastic book by uh, a, a, a US clinician, Dr. Gene Dodds, who wrote this book called The Canine Thyroid Epidemic. Mm -hmm. And basically she's saying there's a whole lot more hypothyroidism out there, guys, than we were taught at college. Not every hypothyroid is fat and chilly and yeah. sluggish. Yeah, she says 40% of aggressive dogs in the States are hypothyroid, for, for, for example. So if anything doesn't make sense with the case, or if we're feeding the dog the bare, bare minimum, they're still not losing weight. I think that's a fair idea to mm -hmm. take some blood. I send it off to Jean Dodds in the States because she's got a lot of, she's been doing it for 30, 40 years, and therefore she can compare any given age, breed, and sex with hundreds if not thousands of others of the same age breed and sex so it's a very powerful database that she's got and so i'd be looking at that in terms of losing weight we'd also talk about exercise exercise is a minor part you can't outrun a bad diet so um uh we'd be talking about you know routine exercise treats we'd be talking about treats i would try and get the treats as single protein without any 
any carb uh, or you know preservatives additives mm. and what have you which can disrupt the microbiome and we would be doing that and that will often be very effective and as you say if you can lose the weight on that dog then the arthritis can improve immensely however what i would be doing just from my holistic perspective um in order to try and avoid non-steroidals i haven't got a problem with non-steroid i've even got some in the in the um cupboard over here behind me but if i have to use non-steroidals i think that i i i may i i failed the case okay i will use them for the welfare of the dog but i just don't feel right in myself mm. and so what we'll do is we're, so we'll lose weight but also i'm going to use a chiropractor or an osteopath i find these people immensely useful you know if your back is bad Anthony, what will you do? Will you go to the vet, to the doctor? You won't because he'll mm. just give you ibuprofen and say, take a week off work. Mm. Okay. But you'll, you'll go to the osteopath and chiropractor and maybe you're walking a bit crooked or your bag is too heavy or your car seat needs adjusting or something. And yeah. you do some simple intervention, some simple yeah. adjustments and you're a, a new person. And we know that this is the case. Look at, you know, in the Olympics, there are, there are um, physios, osteopath, chiropractors, you know left right and center so these guys are very very important especially if lameness comes along after surgery things like this even if it wasn't surgery for the musculoskeletal system it was like i don't know stomach surgery or a pyometra or something like that you can you can get jarred during surgery yeah. and these guys can help you with symmetry uh, uh left and right symmetry and also front and back symmetry so that you're just you've got good weight distribution as a as a pretty uh, tall mm. person my my back is quite good but i do go to a mm. chiropractor i do have a bit of subluxation of one of my yeah. hips so he shoves that back in and uh, stops yeah. me running around in circles then this is it and i use these these guys often often in practice you know they're not here yeah. i haven't you know in my practice i've got a very simple practice um i just say right this is tony's number go and see him lovely guy tony nevin based in Cheltenham, but he travels all over. He goes to Lambourne and does the horses there. In fact, at the moment, he's in Thailand doing elephants, of all things. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's a clever guy, really lovely guy. He does my back as well. So um, we're really you good. You need a ladder for would... that job, Nick. You need a ladder for, for elephants. For elephants, I would presume, unless he's <laughs> extremely tall. He's not. He's shorter than me. And... Um, He's just very clever. He'll he'll do what he can from the ground. Will he? I don't know. I don't know what he does actually. I've only ever seen him working from the ground, but I would imagine yeah. he's not not averse if he can to get on on top and maybe do a bit of a bit of work there. And yeah. it's effective. He goes out there every year. You know, they're not fools. They wouldn't be getting getting him back just because they you know like like what he does. Yeah. Okay, so we we would do that. So we 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 look at the weight. We'd look at symmetry and optimizing. Uh, the, the musculoskeletal uh, efficiency of yeah. that animal, depending on whatever it did, whether it sat by the fire all day or whether it was uh, an athlete. We would be then looking at supplements, perhaps to support joint health. That's not complicated these days. You can get chondroitin glucosamine products left, right and center. You know about those. Mm. But also we use one that has boswellia in it. Boswellia is frankincense. It's an anti-inflammatory. Yes. In order to try and just to delay the day that we have to use analgesics, non-steroidals, mm. uh, the gabapentins, the, the, uh, the, the 
uh, even the um, the steroids of this world. Um, if we can if we can delay that thing, I have no problem using them. But if we can if we can delay the use, why wouldn't we? So we'd yeah. be thinking also about acupuncture. We would be thinking about uh, making sure that the animal was hydrated, hydrated, and um, you know. Uh, uh, having the, the, the very best of, of, you know, bone broths and things like this, again, to support the joints. Um, so there's a whole raft of things. And what, what I t- say to people is, you know, it's please bring the dog as, you know, in the early stages so that we can, we can put on a treatment. And then if we have to layer on another a bit further down the line, then we will, if we have to layer something on a little bit further down the line. And when those layers are insufficient, then we're in non-steroidal territory and we'll support the dog, the liver, the the kidneys so as to maximize the efficacy of that non-steroidal. But also we will be supporting the home side, the dog itself, and not just saying, here's your, here's your Metacam, good to go. Yeah, mm. take a bag of hills while you're on your way out. You know, you don't eat ultra-processed food. I don't eat ultra-processed food. And... I think it would be fantastic to, to, to educate the profession into the place where they thought outside the, the box, the, the, mm. the kibble, the cans box. I'd, I mean, this is mm. obviously a really controversial area. You know, we talked about it at Webinar Vet, and it's, mm. it, it raises hackles from both sides, I think, because there are evangelists on both sides. Talk to me a little bit about raw feeding because, yeah, you know, obviously we, we talk about evidence-based medicine. You know, you, you were talking about that. You yeah. know, high levels of salmonella in, in some raw feeds. Um, yeah. Are there better feeds than others? You know, I think to me it seems like we have to make sure we're picking the right one because I absolutely yeah. agree. You know, the dog is a carnivore. Mm. That's what it was doing, you know, 10,000 years ago. But it was also eating very fresh meat. My worry is always that Mm. how old is this meat when the dog's eating it? You know, can it cause problems as well? I think it's, we're probably somewhere in the middle. You know, I I tend to be more of a moderate in in that sense. So come on, tell me a little bit about why, uh, you know, what are the reasons that people should be thinking much more seriously? And obviously I know it, you know, it is out there. And there are a lot of people who are using it, but I think yeah. the profession um, is probably there's not as many people talking about raw feeding. I think most people do. You know, we've always fed with kibble and with tins or mm. pouches. Mm. Mm. So you know, mm. why should we change? Okay, so you said you said about salmonella. So the first thing is all the all the Defra registered uh, producers. They they have a zero tolerance of salmonella. Yeah, they're testing for it, and they they uh, they they have a very uh, um, um, high vig- vigilance for salmonella. Yeah. So the likelihood of getting salmonella in any good quality product in the UK is pretty low, if not zero. But did you see there was a couple a couple of weeks ago there was a paper. And they, they did a study in the States and they took, I think, 34 different kibbled feeds and they, they analyzed them for pathogens. They found pathogens in every single one. 
Okay, and there are other papers from, uh, from about 2006 to, to 2010, and they looked at the incidence of salmonella in dried food, kibble, and they found that 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 there were there were hundreds of incidents, especially in toddlers, because toddlers are down at the level with the dog and they can stick their hands in the bowl because often people will kind of uh, graze feed kibble because it's easier. And they were finding that there were, there were just swathes of, of people being injured from their dried kibble. If you look for those papers from raw feed, I think you'd be hard pressed to find them. So the science doesn't back up this, this uh, intuitive feel that, oh my God, it's got loads of salmonella and all sorts of horrendous pathogens, E. coli and this kind of thing. We just don't see it in, on, on the coal face. We don't see it. I'm in touch with, with raw feeders all around the world. Uh, we, we've got the Raw Feeding Veterinary Society. And so we're in close communication with each other. And we just don't see it. And the other thing is, Anthony, is that I can guarantee, because there are certain uh, uh, interests that would make it happen, if a, a, a dog or a child or somebody went down with salmonella from raw food, it would be on the front of the Daily Mail in three seconds flat, okay? And we just don't see those kind of reports, okay? So I think dogs are very good that we transition them onto a raw food and they do very well. The the trick is to communicate with one of the reputable um, raw feeding companies in the UK. There are plenty. If you go to Google, look at the top 10, the top 20, they're probably going to be pretty good. If... If there are colleagues watching this who want to be put in touch or they're thinking, I w- I'd love to do it, but I just don't know where to start, please give me a shout. Nick Thompson at holisticvet.co.uk. I'm sure that uh, Charlie will put it in the yeah. show notes, as they say. I feel like Russell Brand here. Yeah, it's in yeah. the show notes. Tell us, yeah. tell us what you think and all that stuff. Visit the website if you want to look. Visit the Royal Feeding Veterinary Society if you don't want to talk to me. Um, email me. I'm, I speak to conventional colleagues all the time, and I'm really, really happy to do so because I think raw feeding is 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 a is a fantastic opportunity for dermatologists, for orthopedic, uh, for gastroenterologists, internal medicine uh, guys. This is just a massive opportunity, and I'm really happy to talk to you about it or put you in touch with somebody closer to you who can help you along that journey. Um, what about what about home? Prepared diets. Home prepared. I used used to feed a lot of uh, fish and potato to my uh, dogs that were going to be uh, going on to food trials. What is the big thing about it needs to be cooked, if you like? Or, you know, with raw feed, it doesn't need to be cooked. So, So raw feed, by definition, hasn't been cooked. But there are, you can, you can fresh within the within the raw feeding world we we talk about raw food and fresh food fresh food is lightly cooked fresh material yeah it hasn't been through a uh, a, an extruder it hasn't been canned for a year before it gets into your dog okay so this is moving away from ultra processed food this is what the kind of food that you and i eat it's just lightly cooked very healthy freshly sourced and and you know you're, you're buying and eating uh, cooking lightly and consuming on a regular basis it's a great way to feed and i haven't got a problem with that so for me raw and fresh both really useful because they keep you away from the ultra processed foods which we're all told by our doctors not to eat so 
the, the way that I summarize the, this this conversation, Anthony, and I have it quite a lot, as you can imagine, is benefits, bugs, balance, and bones. These are the these are, in 2012, the World Small Animal Veterinary Association came out with these criticisms. Benefits, there's no benefits. Well, I can give you 20, 30 papers demonstrating benefits. I bet you can't give me one where where kibbled food is demonstrated to be superior to raw food. And I can give you several which show exactly that, where raw is superior in terms of microbiome, in terms of stool quality, in terms of reducing homocysteine levels in the blood, in terms of reducing atopy, in 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 pups born to raw fed dog raw fed mothers i can give you all the studies here guys just email me and i'll send them um so benefits yes there are benefits world small animal veterinary says world small animal veterinary association says there aren't bugs yes there are low levels of bugs salmonella very unlikely in the uk but there are two thousand different types of salmonella there's only about a dozen which are actually pathogenic and even if they are at a very low level that aren't really detectable, I think that the raw fed dog, because they have this continual exposure to low levels of these bugs, which is a bit like going for a walk in the park, coming home and licking your feet, which is what dogs mm. do. It's a low level of exposure to bugs, which humans don't do very much these days. I think it's very healthy. And the proof of the pudding is that the raw, the average raw fed dog goes to the vet a lot less than the average kibble fed dog. We're just about to do a study where we're looking at, at the, the figures within a, a large raw and kibble feeding practice. And we're going to compare vet bills and vet visits and what have you. So that's an ongoing study that's coming out soon. But I can almost guarantee what the results would be. Back to the WSAVA. Benefits, bugs. Now, balance, which is your original question. Balance. When was the last time you, Anthony, ate a balanced meal? Um, well, I'd like to think, you know, if you're eating, uh, well, either meat, vegetable or whatever, um, I suppose the proof of the pudding is in the eating, isn't it? If, if you suddenly start having lots of uh, problems, you're going to the doctors a lot, you've got blood work mm -hmm. that's all over the place, then presumably... Yeah. You're yeah. not doing it, you know. My wife always says everything in moderation, you know. So if you're doing, I it completely agree. Moderation, you're probably there or thereabouts. But but I can't. I don't know that I've ever had a balanced meal in my entire life. And if I did, I didn't know about it. And yet yeah. we are sold. Every meal has got to be balanced. That's the only way you do it. You are you are a bad owner unless you are feeding every meal a balanced meal. That's that's the that's the subtext. Yeah. yeah. And yet humans have existed for three million years on a variety of foods. So I think dogs have, and dogs have as well. So I think that if the diet is balanced, now the diet is a thing that you have over three or four weeks. If the yeah. diet is balanced, you're in great shape, whether that's fresh or whether that's raw. That's how it's been done. You know, dogs can't read. They've been feeding themselves for millions of years. Ditto humans, etc. So, Benefit bugs balance. So the whole balance thing. Yes, if you take any individual meal, it may not be balanced, but that meal is not the diet. Yes. And so we're looking. We're, we're taking a much more physiological, much more evolutionary approach to to eating. A much more 
practical approach to food essentially we feed a variety variety is the the ingredient that doesn't go in the bowl it is the element that is absolutely essential you know mrs jones might say oh my dog likes chicken and a bit of cabbage and so i'll feed chicken and cabbage for the rest of the dog's life wrong even though if that's raw that's not a raw diet mrs jones that is chicken and cabbage yeah where are your organs where are your bones where are your nuts herbs seeds where's your omega-3s okay so so it, it doesn't take much to to create a, a balanced raw food and the, the the key to the whole thing and i shouldn't say this because because this is my livelihood is if you feed variety if you get your macronutrients like your wife was saying a bit of everything um a no, you know a, a moderation in all, in all things you get your macronutrients right and you have variety seasonal variety fresh and what have you your body will look after itself because that's what it's been doing for millions of years. And so that's what we do. So benefits, bugs, balance and bones. The last thing that the WSAVO and many vets will get really terrified about is bones. And I'm going to say here, officially, I think that if you feed cooked bones to dogs, you're going to get problems. You may, you may get a, a problem tomorrow or you maybe a year down the line, but I can almost guarantee sooner or later you are going to get problems. However, dogs... Uh, do very well on raw bones will you never ever 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 have a problem with a raw bone i can't say that but i think it's a bit like driving a car or getting in an airplane the benefits substantially outweigh the risks and if you're a careful driver then you're probably going to get through your entire driving career with nothing but a scrape or two and that's that's the feeding of bones i've done a video uh, it's called uh, Bones and How to Feed Them. On my website, he says, plugging away relentlessly. But it basically says, we look at it, it's a bit like kindergarten, primary school, secondary school, and college. You'd start a dog with, with very simple, soft chicken carcasses down at the bottom end. And this would be for for, for, for pups, from even from three weeks. But these would be for adult dogs if they've just gone come over from kibble and you're thinking, right, well, let's get them onto some bones. You've got to do it gradually. We all learn these things. So kindergarten would be soft chicken carcasses. Then you'd move up to to, uh, chicken wings, turkey necks, duck necks, things like that. And then you'd move on to maybe some lamb ribs, maybe a bit of beef rib, maybe a bit of beef brisket. Yeah, non-weight-bearing bones. And only then for the, this is at the college level, for bones only at the top end this is the veteran bone eater what bone eater when their their, their their gastric juice is is good and strong their enzymes are, and their microbiome is in great shape because they've been eating mm. raw food for for a good long time i'm talking a year down the line or more you could maybe think about the marrowbone the problem is mrs jones will often go straight for the marrowbone and then wonder why the dog gets sick because of all the marrow all in one go. Or the dog doesn't know how to eat a marrow bone and it crunches this, this brittle, fresh bone. It's got to always be fresh. Uh, and then doesn't know what to do with the chunks, you know. Mm. So there are ways of doing these things very safely, very simply. And it's very successful. It's, uh, dogs were not meant to have dentals every year, every two years, every three years. It's it, it, it stands to reason. And you can keep a dog generally off the dental table 
off the operating table by using raw food. It's not absolute, I'd say, but I'd say that raw fed dogs are, have a lot less necessity for dentals. No, it's really fascinating, Nick. Um, and, you know, I think at Webinar Bet, we want to be able to see both sides of the story because that's how you make the judgment. I think before you were talking about, you know, you leave college and I talk about this as well. You set your own curriculum and we all set different curriculums. Mine was dermatology. Mine was online yeah. learning. And um, I think that whole idea that we should always be open to stuff and, and to lifelong learn is so important because, as you say, we're all clever boys and girls. And if we actually stop learning when we're, you know, 25, 30, shortly after university, that's when the job becomes quite tiresome. But, it, you know, in my view, I'm, I'm not practicing, but I did 25 years. It's one of, if not the best jobs in the world. And we probably don't have time to talk a lot about attrition and, and so on. But maybe that's for, mm -hmm. uh, that's for another podcast. I'd love to. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, there's a lot to talk, there's a lot to talk about. I, th I think vets go into it for the right reason. Nobody, you know, goes into veterinary medicine to be a millionaire because you're in the wrong job essentially. Yeah. And uh, we do it because we want happy patients, happy owners, and we want to make a difference. You know, it sounds yeah. trite, but actually, we want to spend our time doing something that means something and if we can get something back in in interest in great positive feedback in learning about uh, uh, about the world our environment we didn't even talk about the environment mm. uh, anthony uh learning about the environment looking learning about regenerative agriculture there's another topic that we didn't mm. cover um all because it's all related and when i when i when i treat patients I, I will also be looking at the owner is the under understanding is is you know and often owner will say oh my god you've just described what's wrong with me yeah. in terms of eczema in terms of pancreatitis in, in terms of uh, food sensitivities in terms of you know necessity for a remedy or for a herb or something like this and there's there's a lot of tie up and i love that that holistic approach to yeah. let let me teach you what i know about this condition and let's bring the whole family in let's work hand in hand with your vet and let's get the osteopath in and we're all going to work in the in, in in the same direction we're all on the same page and we're all moving in the same direction for the sake of the client it's enjoyable the client is delighted we're much more likely to get a favorable outcome and it's a win-win situation in these days where the profession is struggling a wee bit i feel i think it's holistic medicine can offer an awful lot and it's not woo woo la la it's a lot of hard hitting there's a lot of great science out there and we're just looking at things from a slightly different perspective uh we're broadening our view uh to, to have to, to to try and achieve the very best of uh outcomes yeah and i agree i think one of the big things you know as vets it, it is a fantastic profession to be in it's a friendly mm. profession to be in i think that's yeah. because the majority of the people are purpose-centered you know they create purpose-centered businesses that are there to do good in the world they're yeah. not there necessarily as you say to make the maximum amount of money by you know ripping people off or whatever there is a yeah there's very much a, a you know a good heart and a purpose to what we do so 
Thanks yeah, we're very, we're very, those, very um, results. We're results driven. Yeah, yeah, and we're exactly the same. The raw feeding brigade, the the holistic brigade, the acupuncture brigade. We want results. We just yeah. we're just coming at it from a different direction. We don't ignore the drugs. You know, I think drugs are great, but I wouldn't want them on my cornflakes. You know. Yeah, exactly. No, well, they probably don't taste very good, Nick. Well, if you if if we're going to go there, you shouldn't really be eating cornflakes. Well, this is true. Yes, <laughs> porridge in the morning much better. You should know maybe, that you spent maybe. five years in Edinburgh. <laughs> that's a that's another conversation we can have, Anthony. Breakfast and and you know uh, intermittent fasting and and these yeah. kind of things. That's a that's an interesting conversation. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it again sometime, Nick. Love to, Anthony. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. This has been Anthony Chadwick at Vet Chat, the number one UK veterinary podcast. Looking forward to seeing you on a podcast or a webinar very soon. Take care. Bye-bye.